morning, uh, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture because I'm actually stepping out of Ephesians to preach on the Lord's table because I know that some people uh, probably never heard a message on the Lord's table, and if you have, then you probably need to hear it again. Uh, so we're going to be looking at uh, several passages from Luke chapter 22, 1 Corinthians, and then some Old Testament text. So I'd like you to have your Bible ready in turn to these to see uh, what's happening when it comes to the Lord's table. But before that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I know that you have designed certain things for our good, and the Lord's table is one of them. It is a means of grace that you have given us in the church. And you've done that so your people do not forget the merits of Christ. That your shed blood uh, blotted out our guilt. And you endured the curse uh, and have taken it for us to set us free. You bore our condemnation and satisfied divine justice. We thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, we know now you invite us to sit at peace with you at your table. You extend your hand to your children to take the bread and to receive the cup and to eat and to drink. I pray, Lord, that we would accept your invitation to partake of this meal as your unworthy guest, but made worthy by Christ. And knowing, Lord, that we have been made worthy only in Christ and Also knowing we are to come and partake only after self-examination and confession of all our sins. Discerning the body and restoring uh, relationships so the unity of your church will be maintained. So let us not grieve or quench you in regard to the Lord's table. But Lord, I pray that we would be willing to submit to you and to sit at your table awaiting the heavenly feast in the Father's kingdom. I pray that for us. So Lord, teach us again what's found in the Word of God. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Luke uh, chapter 22. And while you're turning there, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 too. We'll be flipping back and forth there and then also we're going to be going again looking at some old testament text but remember we teach uh, two ordinances have been committed to the local church the lord's table of course is one of them and baptism is the other one but the lord's table is also referred to as the lord's supper or it's referred to as communion so from time to time uh, it's uh, it's my duty as your pastor actually to expose you once again to the teaching of the Lord's table. Now, I can probably preach about four or five messages on this, but I just want to do one this morning. Uh, Some of you have a good understanding of this ordinance. Others have never heard what the Bible teaches on the subject or what, what its source is, and still others have not yet grasped the significance of this ordinance. And what's the meaning of an ordinance? An ordinance is in really an outward and visible symbolic rite commanded in the Bible to be practiced by the church, which sets forth a central truth 
of Christian faith. And that's what the Lord's table is. It, it really does. And so the Lord has given to His church a visible word, which really has a sensory experience to it, because we can actually eat the bread and drink the cup, but it also has a theological point to it, that the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the fruit of the vine should prompt us to recall that Christ came into this world in the flesh in order for Him to be torn for us on the cross. In the original communion service, the bread was torn from one common loaf. One common loaf of unleavened bread, and they would tear it and then pass it around. So then the imagery would include seeing the bread torn. We are remembering that His flesh was torn by the nails in His hands, and feet and the spear that was thrust into his side. We also see that the wine poured out into the cup. We are to remember that Jesus' blood poured forth from his wounds on the cross for a very specific reason. And that was, of course, to wash away the sin. So we believe the Scripture's view of the Lord's Supper is a memorial feast. We eat the bread and we drink the cup. And it says in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, in remembrance of me. All right? So the proper understanding of the Lord's table is that it is a memorial, which teaches that the bread and the wine are symbols to remind and to aid us in observing both the first and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, because it also says in Scripture, do remember until I come. So the Lord is teaching us that this is a very visible ordinance given to us for, so we don't forget. Now, Matthew Henry, if you ever uh, read any kind of Matthew Henry commentaries, probably one of the uh, great commentaries that, uh, that was put out by him, called the Lord's Supper a spiritual diet. And then he said that it should be taken often. In other words, there's more going on in the Lord's Supper than can be perceived. Actually, real nourishment, he said, occurs whenever we partake of bread and the fruit of the vine. Our physical bodies cannot survive without food and drink. And Christ's use of food and drink in the Lord's Supper is surely meant for us to see. By way, actually, by way of an analogy, the ordinance as a spiritual sustenance that is vital to the health and well-being of our souls. So he goes further than just a memorial and just a symbol. And I think there is more going on in the Lord's table uh, because the Lord commands us to do it. So there's a fellowship going on. There's obedience going on. There's all kinds of things spiritually going on. So when we as obedient believers participate in the communion service, we manifest a mutual faith and a fellowship in His death for us, that the Lord bent down to our weakness so that we would not forget what He has done by sending His Son, that the One who offered Himself on the cross through the Spirit. So therefore, the communion 
It's a time that we can remember and thank God for what God has done for us. Now, let me just read a few passages of Scripture. The first one I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 23 through 25. And this is what it says there. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So see, the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, has designed this ordinance to have several really beneficial effects upon us as believers as we partake in it. And I think that the effects have a backward look to the past, it has an inward look to your own heart, and it has a future look to the coming of Christ. Those are beneficial things for us, because those are the realms in which we live every day, past, present, and future. Of course, we live in the present, but the past affects us, and the future is our hope. So those things come together in the Lord's table. Now, in verse number 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what you do. So see, the backward look is that we look to the cross, that the Lord's table is more than a memorial. It is a message of God's redeeming grace in Christ Jesus. And through this ordinance, we bear public testimony to our faith in Christ of the one who died for our sins. So scripturally observed, this feast is a solemn, silent sermon. It is a great preacher because it says we proclaim the Lord's death until we come. Now, so there's a message in it. And so that the message is a visible word that we can see, that we can touch, that we can partake of, that has to do with a very important theological point. And of course, that point is the cross. So after reading that passage of Scripture, there's another passage I want to turn to, and that's in Luke chapter 22. And notice in verse number 14 through verse 20, where it says this, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. I know that when I have the communion service, I usually use Matthew chapter 26 every time, and I want you to know but the Lord's table is more than just in Matthew 26. It's in Luke, it's in, it's in 1 Corinthians, but it's, it's, it's got its roots somewhere that I want to look at. It says in verse number 14, when the hour has come, Luke 22, verse 14, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it 
and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after he had, they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Let me just stop right there. So see, Christ gave the ordinance during the Passover meal, indicating that it would co- commemorate a new exodus, just as the old covenant Passover was eaten in memory of the exodus from Egypt. And that's all over the scriptures. You, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll find out this, that he keeps saying to the people about the exodus, the exodus, the exodus. It's all over the place. It's like, all right, all right, why? Because he wants them never to forget the deliverance that was given there by God because, see, that Old Covenant, Passover, was eaten in memory of the exodus from Egypt. The new exodus is the rescue from sin and death that Jesus accomplished for his people in his atonement and resurrection. So let me take some time and look at the past and investigate some of the Old Testament roots to this church ordinance, that the Passover celebration was instituted by God when he promised to deliver his people from 400 years of slavery and bitter bondage in Egypt. So the Passover meal celebrated the the death angels passing over the houses of those whose doorposts and lentils were, were smeared with lamb's blood. All right, so let's go see. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. Just to give you a sense that the Lord instituted the Lord's table on the Passover. So the Passover and the cross are linked together in a very specific way. Now, you may have never heard that or seen that before, but when you see it, there's a powerful message here. It really is. It says in verse Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 11. It says, Now you shall eat in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt, on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So see, it's significant in that passage of Scripture that the only way that they were going to be passed over from the judgment that God was going to hold on Egypt was for them to take a lamb, to slaughter that lamb, and then to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the, the, the door post and the lentil, the top part of the entry into their home, and that when the death angel came down and he saw the blood, 
he would pass over in judgment so they would not be killed. All right, so it is God's word. It is the Lord's Passover, and the Lord will provide a lamb, and it is us word. It says, I will pass over you. It shows that God is merciful toward his people and sovereign over all powers, both evil and good, able to bring deliverance at any time. Now, the order of the service back in the Old Testament is said that they were ready to go and leave Egypt, so they were to do it quickly. But in their meal, they really drank, uh, had about four cups they used to use in the Passover. And the first one was the cup of, the first cup of wine or the first cup of the fruit of the vine was, is, is found like in Exodus 6.5. You don't need to turn there. But what it says there is the first thing, there are four promises given to the people that they celebrated during the Passover. When they, uh, the first cup of wine was the cup of remembrance. And that simply meant this, that in Exodus 6 and verse 5, it says that I remember my covenant. The covenant, remember, that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be a great nation, right, was given to the people. And at the Passover, they were to uh, pronounce the blessing of the first cup of wine and then pass it around. Of course, the first promise was found in Exodus 6.6, where it says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then, of course, bitter herbs dipped in Fruit sauce was eaten, and a message was given as to the meaning of the Passover. Now, right there in Exodus, if you're still there, look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 26 and 27. Because, of course, the kids are going to say, as the generations go by, why do we do this? What's the big deal of the Passover? Right? Because, you know, anything that's done over and over and over again can become road. Right? And we, we, can, we, can, we can become numb to it or as to its meaning. And so we don't engage in it. See, our minds need to be engaged in the Lord's table and what it means. So back then, when they did the Passover year after year after year after year, the little kids would say, what's the meaning of this? Well, look what it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26. It says, when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians. He spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshipped. So see, there is begins to give uh, the story to the children so they're passing out the truth of the Passover from one generation to another. In fact, in Exodus, again, it says, you shall tell your sons on that day saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So it's given, it's a, a chance for worship to give God the praise for that. And then what they would do after uh, drinking each cup of wine was to sing a hymn. And so what, what did they sing? They sang, there's a section in the Psalms called the Hillel Psalms, the Psalms of Praise. Right? And they would sing, at this point, they would sing Psalm 114 verses 1 through 8. And all that was was a song about what the Lord did in the Exodus, how he delivered them. It goes something like this. When he, I'm not going to sing it because oh, we don't know exactly how it was sung. 
All right. But uh, when Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from the house of a strange language, Judah came, became his sanctuary, Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like a ram? O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob. You turn the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. So again, these psalms going back to remembering the Exodus. So they're, they're, they have visible things. They have, they're singing about it. We're doing the same thing in our worship today. All right? All these things are connected to what they did back then. So the first promise to the people was that God doesn't forget. He remembers what he says. He keeps his promise. So a second cup, cup was given, and that's found in Exodus chapter 6, in verse number 6. And the second cup of wine was the cup of deliverance. All right? And it simply says in Exodus 6, 6, I will deliver you from their bondage. Pretty clear. Right? I will deliver you from their bondage. All right? But I want you to look again in Exodus, if you're still there. Look at verse number 3. The second cup was passed. The host broke and passed around, the, uh, with the, uh, of course, the unleavened bread, and the meal proper was eaten. That's the roasted lamb. It says in verse 3 of Exodus 12, Speak to all, speak to all the each one, Excuse me, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household, down at verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, and you, you, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall, verse 6, keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Verse 7, Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh of the same night, roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the raw, of it raw or boiled at all in water, but rather roast it with fire, both its legs its head and its legs along with its entrails. And of course, it goes on to say that this is the Lord's Passover. So for this passage, we see that the meal was to be eaten until nothing was left, and the meal was to be eaten in a hurry, with their clothes on, with their staff in their hand, ready to depart Egypt. Why? Because they're banking on the promise that God's going to deliver them, right? And so the second promise was i will deliver you from bondage so the second cup was the cup of really uh deliverance there's a third cup and that was the cup of redemption of exodus chapter 6 and verse 6 i will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments so see the third promise was i will redeem you now once they got done drinking that cup Again, they would sing another Hillel psalm or song and praise the Lord. And Psalm 16, verse number 13, would be the psalm they sung at this point, And that simply says this, 
I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And so that word there, salvation, is a word that means to, of course, deliver, all right? Redeem, all right? And the Lord redeems his people. Uh, and so here are all the pictures. And then there was a last cup they drank, and that was the cup of really a future. It was the cup of acceptance. And it says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, then I will take you for my people, all right? And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So we see that these promises come together, and that fourth promise is that I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. Now, if you turn to the book of Revelation, you'll find the same thing there, right? But that's when it's all concluded, and everything is done in God's plan, and so at the end, that's what the point is, is that God would come and dwell amongst us. We will be his people. He will be our God. There's no, there'll be no obstacles to prevent us from worshiping him. All right. We'll have resurrected bodies then. We'll be able to stand in the gl glorious presence of God. And it will be, it's the hope that we have. That's where it's all heading. And so, see, in, in these four cups, it is said that, we drink the third cup at our communion. And that's cup, the cup of redemption. But I think that in a very real way that this cup that we drink during the Lord's table is, in, encompasses all four of them. It is a cup of remembrance. It's a cup of, cup of deliverance. It's a cup of redemption. And it's a cup of acceptance. It, it, it covers past, present, and future. Right, So that's why the Lord did say in Luke 22 and verse 20, in the same way, he said, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood, that the Lord was doing something new. This was a new Passover, that the blood was the central point of the cross in which the Lord, of course, washes away everything, all the obstacles, all the sins that would prevent us from worshiping him. We see also in the order of our Lord's Supper, we, what, do we, what do we do? We, we take the cup, right? Uh, and we, then the, the elements of the meal are the bread and the cup. We do the same thing. So the bread to, to us represent the exodus now that came to... Uh, well, the bread that represented the Exodus now came to represent the blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Through his death, he brings deliverance from sin's condemnation, his curse and uh, the curse and bondage. And we're set free. We're set free in what the Lord's done. And so we're remembering that at the Lord's table. Also, the cup that had represented the lamb's blood smeared on the doorposts and lentils now came to represent the blood of the Lamb of God, shed for the salvation of lost sinners, that his blood does not just provide a covering for sin like it did in the Old Testament, but his blood provides a total washing away and a wiping away of sin and takes it away forever, never again to come back into our uh, 
place and condemn us. No, it is done forever. So then the bread and the wine that is eaten remind us of our salvation, that our salvation is achieved through the death, Christ's death alone, and his resurrection secures our salvation for all eternity. So in this one act, to be made right with God, we see the exclusive nature of Christianity. There is no other, there's no other religions that provide this. There's no other person of any religion like Jesus Christ. There's no other one who could do what Jesus did. So in a sense, Jesus is the only way. He is only the truth. He is the only truth, and he is the only life. And so that's very, today in, in our culture, that is very offensive because everybody has their own opinion, right? You know, their own opinion is just as valid. Their own way of worship is just as valid as yours. But no, if you don't come to Christ, then you're still in your sin. If you don't come to Christ, you, you're still under the condemnation of God. And so therefore, in the Old Covenant, uh, it was based on the law, and the law brought condemnation. In the New Covenant, it's based on Jesus' blood, and Jesus' blood frees us from all condemnation. From all condemnation. So that means that the Passover was transformed into the Lord's Supper on that day. And so that's why at the end I usually say in from Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 30, and after that was done, they went out and what? Sung a hymn. And they went out when they went out... Uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. See, why did they do that? Because they, that's the way they did it. So the pattern was there for us. So see, that is the backward look, the look at the cross, right? But there is an inward look, all right? And that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that inward look has to do with us presently, our hearts, all right? It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. In so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. So see, self-examination should be practiced faithfully before participating in the Lord's table. The realization that we are coming to Think about his death for us should be ample cause to search our own hearts and lives and to confess any sin that we, the Spirit of God brings to our mind and any uncleanness, any rebellion, any unbelief that we are struggling with, anything that you are doing that does not please God or anything that you are not doing that you should be doing. All right, sins of omission and sins of commission, too, are things that God may want you to be serving, and you're not doing anything. You're just living for yourself. You haven't you know, set aside time and talents to serve the Lord. All right, so he may be showing you, listen, it's time to serve. It's time to be out there doing something for me, right? And, of course, we confess sins of any sort as we turn to the Lord. So you see that. It is the Lord's Supper that calls us back again and again and again to this spiritually healthy exercise. 
that we are never commanded to stay away from the Lord's table, ever. We are commanded to thoroughly examine ourselves with a heart-searching examination for what purpose? To partake of the elements, to be ready to partake. That's why, if you notice now, we're sending out emails before letting you know that the Lord's table is happening this particular Sunday. And so to just think about it, start preparing yourself for it. But so that is the, the present look. But then there is a forward-looking part of the Lord's table, and for He's coming. There's a future part of it, and that's found also in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until I come, until He comes. So the Lord's table points forward to Christ's sure return. Now, is that not a promise for us? Has Christ returned yet? No, he hasn't returned yet, right? Will he return? Well, how do we know that? How do we know he will return? Well, we look at the Old Testament, and they drank the cup of believing the promises of God that God doesn't forget, right? God doesn't forget. And all throughout redemptive history, we see that God keeps his promises, in fact, the re- repetition in the, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22 is very, uh, very significant. So we sit at really the Lord's table and we declare our belief in the return of Christ. We shout to the world that we believe in a future day when we shall eat and drink with Christ in his eternal kingdom. See, we believe that. In fact, Jesus, in just a few passages of scripture and Luke says it twice in Luke twenty two sixteen he says, I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then verse 18, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. So you see that the Lord is letting us know that he's done with the plan of redemption. All right? at least presently, but the full consummation of it all coming together and him concluding his plan of history has not yet finished. So we're still in the moving forward to that time that we are declaring the second coming of Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 11.25, it says, In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Anyone who drinks this cup is a partaker of the new covenant in my blood. In the Passover meal that was known as the third cup of redemption, drinking the cup of communion symbolizes that we are at peace with God because of the shed blood on our behalf. A forward look is a testimony that we are not ashamed. A forward look is a reminder that our Lord's coming is coming again, for he tells us to proclaim his death in this way until he comes. A forward look means that we desire and are making ourselves ready for his presence. See, so when the Lord says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We will drink it in the Father's kingdom, and it will be new. 
as never having existed before. Also, actually, in that passage of Scripture, the tense of the verb means this. We will be drinking for the feast will never end. It will be an eternal thing. It will something that will be just passing. And of course, we will be, if we're singing here, we will be singing there. Of course, our voices, I think, will be a little bit more adjusted. And um, not all of us have been blessed with angelic voice, right? And, uh, and actually, not many of us. <laughs> so it all comes together. So it's who participates in the Lord's table, those who are saved. Those who are in union with Christ. And so those who are not yet saved and not yet baptized should not be partaking of the Lord's table. So really, in summary, the Lord's table is a commemoration it's and proclamation of his death until he comes and should always be preceded by a solemn examination and end with a praise celebration because it is a picture, again, of sitting down, having a peace meal with the Lord in whom we remain in peaceful fellowship. Why are we at peace with the Lord? Because the cross, the blood of the cross has made peace, right? Doesn't that say that in Romans? Right? That's why we're at peace for no other reason. We're at peace with the Lord. And so we do this from now and forever. So we have a backward look to the cross. We have an inward look to our heart and what the Lord has done in cleansing us of our sin as we confess it. And we have a forward look to the Lord coming again. So there is a sensory experience that goes on in the Lord's table, visible and tangible. We get now to eat the bread and to drink the cup. And theological, it points to the cross. It points to the cross. And it points to the cross. And of course, the cross always includes the resurrection. Because if the Lord's returning again, he had to leave to come back. So he had to be resurrected, right? So it's a time of praise now. Now, I'd like the men to come forward as we partake of the Lord's table. All right, I'm just, being, I, being, being that I've said all these things, we're just going to come, pray, pass out the elements, and then I'm going to pass it over to Dwayne at the end. Uh, I do have to leave uh, this morning and uh, catch a flight. I'm going to be in a conference this week, in a uh, Piper conference I'm going to this week in uh, Minnesota, so got to see the kids too. And... Um, so just pray for me this week as I go there. And I do want to say something before I, I uh, pass out the elements. That um, Eric and Cheryl Frew are going to be grandparents. Their son Dan and his wife live on the, the left coast, the wrong coast. Uh, and uh, they, uh, yeah, and with twins. You know, Eric's a twin. Did you know that? Well, it skipped a generation, and, and Dan got it. So congratulations. It's a whole new world. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's take a few minutes, examine ourselves, and I'll come pass out the elements.